0: Hey, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you guys back this evening. I hope you guys had a good afternoon. I know that I did. Uh, When I came to church, the Chiefs were up 21 to 0. So that's a uh, wonderful—you guys don't care, do you? I'm talking to a bunch of college football fans, OU fans. I know, but uh, as long as the Chiefs are doing well, I hope that uh, we'll have a wonderful time tonight in our fellowship. And I'm looking forward to uh, the, the word that the Lord has laid on my heart. Uh, And I'm going to invite you, if you would, go ahead and open with me in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. And we're going to be in the first chapter again this evening. As you're turning there, I want to reiterate what I said two weeks ago. We began our study two weeks ago, and we had last Sunday night a week ago off so that we could be spending time with our families throughout uh, the Thanksgiving time. And uh, really, as we're looking... What we began two weeks ago uh, through the book of Proverbs uh, is the series that we're calling Wise Words. We're unlocking wisdom from Proverbs. And through this transitional period, what I really wanted to emphasize uh, is I don't believe that there is a more appropriate uh, and more important time for us to be intentional to dive deep into the wisdom of God's word. That we would be intentional to seek counsel, guidance, and instruction in our lives and also specifically in our church. Together at this time. And so, as we began our study with Proverbs uh, chapter 1, we looked in verse 7. And I want to just begin, I'll, I'll pause before we get into our reading uh, to let you know most of you are aware, but uh, about eight days ago, I had my wisdom teeth taken out. And that's a very scary thing. Uh, the third molars, also known as the wisdom, because I'm coming uh, to speak tonight about wisdom. And I have four less pieces of wisdom with me uh, that I had before. And so I hope that we're all going to lean in on the Lord and His Word and His Holy Spirit to be the one teaching us His wisdom tonight. Uh, But I thought I'd just give you the fair warning before we begin uh, that I don't have my wisdom teeth anymore, so we'll see how this goes, okay? But we begin in verse 7, verses 1 through 7, and tonight I want to read from Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And don't reject your mother's teaching, for they will be a garland of grace on your head and a gold chain around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. If they say, come with us, let's set an ambush and kill someone. Let's attack some innocent person just for fun. Let's swallow them alive like Sheol, still healthy as they go down to the pit. We'll find all kinds of valuable property and fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us, And we'll share all our money. My son, don't travel that road with them or set foot on their path because their feet run towards trouble and they hurry to commit murder. It is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it, but they set an ambush to kill themselves. They attack their own lives. Such are the paths of all who make profit dishonestly. It takes the lives of those who receive it. And a brief prayer before we begin this evening. Father, as we uh, seek your heavenly throne in this time, God, I pray, Lord, that if there's anything we can make as a request before you tonight, that it would be for your wisdom in our lives, in our church. Father, I pray that we would seek a wisdom that comes from truly knowing you and pursuing uh, you with all of our lives. Father, I pray that we would seek a wisdom which brings about fear, uh, reverence, trust, and love for you, a wisdom which uh, is rightly interpreting and applying your word to our lives so that we would bring glory to you. God, I pray that uh, we would seek this wisdom tonight and that your word would truly be written upon our hearts that we might not sin against you. And Lord, we pray this and we seek this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask. Amen and amen. So for those of you who were not able to be with us two weeks ago as we began looking at verses 1 through 7, and for the rest of us who have slept several times since then, I wanted to just take a moment and to look back and remind us where we landed in our study. Uh, I think it's very important that we we, uh, just look one more time at verse 7, at least for now. And we spent the bulk of our uh, time—we read 1 through 6, and we we landed in 7. We spent the bulk of our time there uh, two weeks ago. And the passage, again, to remind us, it says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction." And from this verse, we sought to answer uh, three questions, and to understand them helps us to properly interpret this verse— and its meaning for interpreting the scriptures. The first question we looked at was, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? And we answered that the Lord is Yahweh. The Lord is Yahweh, that he is the self-sufficient, the self-existent, all-powerful, and all-loving creator who rightly claimed, I am who I am. And we concluded that all that we know and are able to know of God is what he in his grace and in his mercy has revealed of himself to us. So we began first with who is the Lord, and then secondly, we moved on to what is this fear? If we're told the fear, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, we need to understand what the fear was, and we looked and discovered that the fear is used uh, here in in Hebrew is the root word yura, ura, which is appropriately equated to a reverence or a trust in the Lord. And what we concluded with uh, last time we gathered was that this fear had been made complete through the perfect life of Jesus Christ, and so now our fear and our reverence is even greater, it's more powerful. It is a perfect love for the Lord Jesus. And then we moved on to what is the knowledge? If, if we are to fear the Lord, to begin a journey of wisdom with knowledge, what is the knowledge? And we looked at the original Hebrew word as well for this one, and we saw the word yadah. Yada is also used earlier in scriptures. It described, again, the skill of a hunter, The skill that the hunter has, uh, that a hunter yada's how to hunt. He knows how to hunt. And what that means, uh, we understood, was that a hunter doesn't doesn't just understand what it is to hunt, but he is skillful in the practice of hunting. A hunter knows how to hunt so much so that he hunts well. And so what we understood for our own lives, we concluded, uh, was that knowledge is is truly uh, appropriately knowing and fearing the Lord, And it is applying his words to our lives skillfully. Does that make sense? We take what the Lord reveals of himself to us. We fear him reverently in love and trust. And then we walk it out in our lives with skill. We literally know him and we gain knowledge and wisdom by pursuing him obediently. And so these answers uh, to these questions could be seen on the screen. They're, they're listed just one more time, uh, the, all three of the questions. And the answers could be looked at just for our memory to help us learn a little bit of Hebrew, but also to uh, memorize this and really apply it to our lives. So who is the Lord? Yahweh. What is the fear? Yura. And what is the knowledge? It is Yada. And I hope that we can all truly understand that because I've spent this time this evening reiterating this and reviewing this for us. Uh, not just to waste our time, but so that we would really understand. If we said that our study through Proverbs, the, the theme or the key verse of all of Proverbs would be chapter 1, verse 7, I think it's important that our foundation is very firm, that we're intentional and very clear in what we're looking at, that we would be able to understand how to rightly fear the Lord, who, who we know, and also to be able to obediently practice what His commands are. And so Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 uh, really lays a foundation for the rest of the book in understanding it. But not only that, really the rest of the scriptures as well. That we would truly understand the word of the Lord, we would fear him, and we would obey him. And so as we look this evening for the remainder of our time, we'll be in verses 8 through 19. And I want to follow four points that help us to better understand this passage and interpret Solomon's words for us this evening the first thing for us to look at is found in verse 8, and that is the perspective of Proverbs. The perspective of Proverbs, this is the perspective uh, from which we we read it and in which it was written. And in verse 8, we first come across the original perspective uh, which Proverbs was written in, and this is what we read. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Listen to your father's instruction, and don't reject your mother's teaching. And so we see specifically here that the perspective of the writer is Solomon, but it's of a father writing to his beloved son, a son that he cares about very deeply. And we see in finding this that it's consistent throughout the entire book, every single chapter in Proverbs. We see it's, it's of a father teaching a son. And another valuable thing from this is, although we don't know the age of the son, we see that both parents are involved in the raising and rearing and instructing of their child. Both parents. We see both the father mentioned here and the mother in only eight verses into its book. I think that's valuable, and that could be its own message a a complete other time, but we really ought to lean in on both the father and the mother instructing and raising their children for pursuing wisdom. And Proverbs' perspective is that of a father encouraging his son to listen to the instruction And the teaching from his parents. What's interesting to learn about the Hebrew root word that's used for instruction is that it's often closely translated with the word discipline. The word discipline. So, instruction and discipline are very close to one another in in their original language. And discipline carries a sort of rebuke, almost like the the punishment side of, of the instruction, right? the the discipline is, is a lot of the punishment that we think of, but always the goal in a parent's discipline of their child ultimately is edification, right? And the instruction side of things, to build them up. The goal of the parent is to correct where the child is wrong so that they are better able to walk the right path, right? That is why the parent disciplines, that is why the Lord disciplines us. And so I found this uh, difficult to grasp at times, especially when my dad would be reaching for the belt and telling me those very confusing words, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you, which I'd never believe, and I still don't believe today. Uh, I don't understand how it could possibly hurt. I have marks to prove it. Uh, The pain was there. But I, I know, I know. But the reality is that at the heart of the rebuke, at the, heart, at the heart of the discipline is instruction and teaching of wisdom, but it's from a place of love. It's from a place of love. And the son is told to listen, to not reject the teaching of his parents. The father is encouraging his son's obedience because he cares about him. He loves him. And in verse 9, we learn that the father's instruction and the mother's teaching is able to be a garland of grace on the head of the son in a gold chain around him his neck. A garland of grace and a gold chain. And what we understand about that is that those were symbolic for three things. One who had a garland of grace or, or a gold chain around their neck would be a person who had honor and guidance and protection in their life. And those are three great things, right? To living a, a well-lived, prosperous, successful life, it would be great to have honor and to be able to have guidance and to have protection in one's life. And so ultimately what we find is that the, the father wants what's best for his children. He loves his son, and so he wants his son to be obedient to his teachings so that he can live a better life. And it's not that the father wants his son to have this gold jewelry because he's desiring to give him all these material things to, to just satisfy him with materials. That's not the end goal but ultimately that he would obey what he has learned so that he would live a long and a prosperous life. We see that teaching from our Father uh, in in heaven who, who gives us this in Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 in a familiar passage to all of us, one that maybe we've struggled with from time to time, but it's honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. And so we see that the Father's concern for us as well is that we would obey the teachings from our parents. And the teachings, especially for a Hebrew child, would have been rooted in God's Word. What the Lord, uh, our, our Creator, has given to us to learn from. And so ultimately, the Father's concern is not to, to woo Him over with with gold and with uh, finer things of life, but ultimately, uh, eternal perspective, being able to receive God's truth like a crown on His head, and to wear it like a golden necklace over his heart and so for us as well uh, we are to receive the instruction of the teaching of God's word uh, like a child from a father which if you consider that for a moment the father has perspective but the child does not right the parent has perspective how much greater for for our father who is all knowing who is literally stretching from eternity to eternity you cannot stop him in one place in time he is who he is for a a God who knows our very next steps and the moment that we will breathe our last. A Father who knows where we're going to spend our eternity and desires desires for us to spend it with Him. How much greater that we truly listen to Him and that we take His word seriously because we must be dependent upon Him. We have no one else to turn to. He is our Father. As Jesus said, uh, and we're reminded in, in Jesus' teachings, that he came so that we may have life, so that we may have a more abundant life through him, that we may have an abundant life through Jesus. And God's desire is that we will be holy. He tells us to be holy so that we will receive eternal life, a life that is actually worth living, a life uh, of purpose. And we, we consider this for a moment, and as the child uh, here in Proverbs, we as well can receive A crown on our heads And a gold chain around our neck And what that would mean for us Is not necessarily the physical Again, we're not thinking of material things But what we're doing Is really by living and looking Like the Bible We are making the Bible more beautiful To others who look at us Isn't that a great thing? You can be a witness By the way that you live You are a witness by the way that you live And when others see you, uh, they're able to see if you're walking and abiding and following your father's instruction, which is his word. They're able to see a beautiful golden crown on your head, a beautiful golden necklace on your neck. And what they see is a beautiful picture of the gospel. By the way that you live, it is so incredibly important that we are obedient and holy as the Lord has commanded us to be. Because other people are attracted to that light, it displays the gospel to them. And ultimately what we find from that is that our Father in heaven is glorified, right? That God in heaven is glorified when he looks at people who are doing what he has commanded them to. And when other people look at the good works that we do, they don't glorify us, they glorify God. And that's exactly what we're called to do. And so first we see here the perspective of Proverbs and we need to understand this perspective every time we dig into it. Because if we try to read this as though we're an old person who has all this wisdom and insight and you're a young man, buddy, don't talk to me about this. I already understand. If we read it that way, we're missing the perspective it was written in. And we're losing sight of the, and the benefit of the scriptures that were written for a child. We are the children of God. We are to receive God's word as children and to trust completely dependently upon our Father. And so as we study through Proverbs, I hope that we are intentional uh, to to value that perspective, to really uh, be childlike in our faith and to trust that these words are as important as the Lord says that they are for us. The fact that he tells us they are our life. And so, as we move on from the parental perspective, uh, the perspective that we see here of Proverbs, we move secondly to uh, the parent's plea. The parent's plea, and we see this immediately following those first couple of verses there. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, don't be persuaded. The plea from a parent, the cry from a parent, if sinners entice you, please, don't give in. Don't be persuaded so easily you can imagine especially as the father has insight that the the child does not years of experience and for Solomon doing things that he uh, should not have done not living a completely holy and righteous life he knows the danger that is lurking around the corner and he is telling his child please don't be enticed by sinners don't be persuaded by the things of the world And so we know uh, ultimately, and I would really encourage all of us to understand tonight, uh, that it's often said that we as humans best learn from uh, failure to don't let it be your own failure that we learn from, right? When you fail, learn from that failure. I'm not saying that. Learn from your own failure, but learn from other people's failure as well because it'll prevent you from failing in the same area. We really ought to be people who who are not falling into the same struggles over and over, but we learn. We're able to learn by the Holy Spirit teaching us and instructing us in his word. And the father here is well aware of of the danger and the pain that comes with choosing the dangerous path, the path of the sinners. But the father, the, the, the situation here is the father cannot choose for his son. He cannot make the choice for his son. The son has the freedom to choose. And that terrifies him. And so he warns him, he pleads, he begs that he would not be enticed or persuaded. I think of this sort of love, uh, the love that the father would have to be able to even say those words. The reason he would say those words, the, the deep love. And I'm led to the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus himself is very weary as he is with his disciples. And he says to them to watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation as he knows what's ahead. It's a very sobering moment as Lord Jesus himself is uh, deeply burdened by the ignorance and the naivety of his own disciples as they are falling asleep in his great hour of need. In deep agony, he rebukes them and he instructs them and he encourages them to watch and to pray. And we need the same lesson tonight as well. To be watchful, to be prayerful, The same thing that Peter writes in his letter to be sober minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Looking for someone to devour. The Father is aware of the danger that is around the corner. The Lord is aware of the temptations that we will struggle this evening with ourselves. The Lord is already aware. We must be intentional to lean in on his wisdom to know that his perspective is greater than our own perspective and to trust in him, to listen to his plea, to take it seriously, to take it to heart. We as children are not aware of all of these things and we must trust completely in the words of the Father. And it's the same way with our perspective that we're easily distracted by lesser things. We'll see in a moment some of the temptations that came, uh, but really there's so many distractions in our lives, so many things that... that pull and tug at our heart and try to take us different directions and lead us down the the wrong path, the path that these sinful men uh, and women were at. But we must be careful that we are not distracted by things of the world, but that we have an eternal perspective. We must not be persuaded. Don't be enticed. Father's plea to us is that we would not be conformed to the patterns of the world but that by his grace and his word, we would be transformed by a renewed mind through Christ Jesus. And so that's important for us that we are serious to not be conformed, to not be distracted, to not give in, that we would listen to our Father's plea and we'd be obedient. And this leads us ultimately to the, the reason for the plea, and this is thirdly, the perverted path. The perverted path, and we see this in verses 11 through 14, and I chose the word perverted uh, for this group of sinners and this path that we can walk because I think it fits very accurately and very well. You see, ultimately, the word perverted literally means twisted or distorted from the truth. Twisted or distorted, and so that is what the path is of all of those who do not walk down the path of righteousness. All those who do not pursue God are choosing to be perverted in their own way. They're distorting the path that God has given them. They are twisting the truth that God is calling them to live by. And that is the path that we see ultimately here. And there's a lot of things we can really pull out of this, but tonight I want to focus on something slightly different from this. The first thing that I noticed from the passage myself is the use of some of these words, and it leads me to an understanding of the popularity In the persuasiveness of the perverted path. The popularity and the persuasiveness of the perverted path. We see sinners used in a plural form. Sinners, multiple. And they is used, and the word us, come with us, implying a group, implying more than one. It's not just one guy trying to get his attention. It will be a group of sinners who will try to entice the father-son. And what we see here is from this perverted path is uh, that the sinners, it's going to be more than one. It's going to be a a group. It's going to be not just a few, but ultimately we find that it's the popular path. And we learn this from Jesus' words himself. He tells us of this truth. He says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there will be many who go by it. Very wide, broad, easy is is the way, and wide is the way which leads to destruction, which leads to hell, and there's going to be many who pursue that perverted path. And on the contrary, he says, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. In other words, we realize that there are few who actually pursue Christ and live a selfless life for him, for God's glory. Only few truly find that path in their lives. That should be a scary thing to us. That should wake us up from time to time. We should understand that and we should lean in again on the Father. What we realize and what I want us to really glean from this evening and from this point uh, is in our own lives and in our church uh, that the perverted path is not so enticing because nobody is walking down it. It's not just because it's this this little path which has no real attraction. But the perverted path is the popular path. It's the persuasive path. It's the route that everybody is walking. It's the route that everybody is pulling us and all the the neon signs and all the flashing lights are trying to uh, draw our attention there. And that is the way of the world and that way leads to death and destruction. Destruction the popular path and we must not be persuaded as the Father has already pleaded for us. And what we find here with this perverted path is that it's ultimately careless and twisted and wicked living. We see some of the things that are mentioned, the shedding of innocent blood for fun. That's perverted, isn't it? That's distorted goodness and truth. We find also a stealing and looting from others, dead bodies or, or, or houses perhaps and it's all to feed someone's own materialistic desire and this perverted path ultimately uh, which the father is displaying it comes in and the temptation of its popularity he says throw in your lot with us we'll share and i think that we also face this temptation from time to time it's really easy to face we, we hear words like come on you won't be alone You're not the only one doing it. Other people out there as well may struggle with this. It's okay. You know what? We'll all benefit from this. It'll be an okay thing. What are you, scared? Don't be afraid. Everybody's doing it. I think that we allow ourselves to buy into these things, to give into our own personal desires. The pride of our own life, the lust of the flesh, The lust of the eyes We give in to the the lesser things Because we pursue a life Where we want to please ourselves I think we must be very careful To avoid The temptation of popularity Very careful Because uh, Just because something is more uh, Popular and, and a lot of people are doing it Does not make it okay right The excuse your parents always gave is What if your friends are jumping off the bridge It doesn't make it okay for you to jump off the bridge the reality is is just because the world is doing it does not mean it's okay for us in the church for example the usage of illegal drugs is on the rise it's okay for the church that's a lie that's the work of the devil that's not true, suicide is on the rise sexual affairs and sexual immorality are on the rise consumption of pornography is on the rise and just because all the people are doing it does not make it okay We cannot dismiss the wickedness and perversion of the path because of the numbers pursuing it. And so we must notice that in our own sin lives, this temptation lingers in a way that we're enticed ultimately to sin because of the popularity. We try to convince ourselves uh, that it must be okay if so many men And so many women are struggling uh, with their sexuality, then it's okay if I do as well. It's okay if I ask these questions. It's okay if I look at those types of things because I know I'm not alone, right? And even the danger within the church, as we try to tell ourselves, Look, I know other brothers and sisters, I can point to the pews that they sit at and they lie and they gossip. It must be okay. The church is doing it, it must be okay. And that's perverted. And that's disgusting. And you know what? That's not the path that we are called to walk down. That's not what the Father wants for us because again, he wants life more abundant for us. He wants life greater for us. And so we must be very weary of the dangers that come with this sin. We must be careful of the company that we allow ourselves to keep with the truth is that bad company does corrupt good morals and the reality is is that we have a church we as a church would be gathering more faithfully more consistently we would not be on the perverted path as much as we are look around you there are empty seats everywhere there is room to fill this this church with so many more lives so many more souls And most likely as we gather, or we forsake gathering, we struggle more and more with the perverted path in our own lives. But we must not be persuaded. Do not be enticed when the sinners call at you. Yes, it's true that we're all going to struggle from time to time, but uh, the fact that we are going to struggle should not be the temptation to continue to struggle. The reality is, is that we should be intentional to fight it because of that. It should motivate us to live more holy lives so that we can honor God by our good works for Him. The Father warns, ultimately, of this perverted path for the fourth point we have tonight, and this is because of the path's promise. The path's promise, the promise of what takes place if you choose to walk down the perverted path. And this is seen in verses 15 through 19. The father warns the son not to travel uh, with those on this popular route, uh, not even to step foot on the path. And again, good company does corrupt bad morals, and the reality is, is that if you are walking with the wrong crowd, you are going to be doing the wrong things. It is that simple. It truly is. If you're walking with the wrong crowd, you're going to be doing the wrong things. Listen, we have to be intentional to surround ourselves with like-minded people. And if we can't find that in the church, we're not going to find it in the world. We need to be faithful to gathering, not forsaking the assembling together in the Lord's name so that we can be intentional to grow closer and closer to the image of Christ. That we can point others who are lost, who are out on the perverted path, who realize how hopeless it actually is. That there is hope on the righteous path. That we can beautify or we can make the gospel look as beautiful as it truly is by our right living. You see, a promise that comes with this path is that the popular way of violence and selfishness quickly comes back upon them. We see that for the the promise that the Father gives the Son here this is the perverted temptation uh, it leads ultimately to a trap the father teaches that it is a fool it is foolish to spread a net where any bird can see it why because if a bird sees you spreading a net the bird's not going to take the bait the bird knows better the fool doesn't the fool gets caught in their own trap and ultimately what we find is that they themselves have no sense to avoid the very traps that they try to set for others so the father warns him to be cautious to not step foot on this path ultimately they'll become ensnared with their own foolishness and it will lead to their death it will lead to an empty uh, profit empty promise a wasted purpose and finally an eternal death It's not just a physical death that the father is worried for his son, but it is his eternal death. Separation from the perfection of the father. And so we ourselves are left with the choice tonight. Regardless of how you came in, you have the choice tonight to recommit, to choose, uh, to pursue the righteous path. And by not choosing that, the scary thing is you're stepping foot back out into the world on the perverted path. You're choosing to twist, to distort, to try to live for yourselves where the Father has commanded you not to. He says, listen carefully. Don't reject the instruction of your father and your mother. So we as well tonight need to be intentional to not be persuaded by sinners, but to pursue the righteousness of God. So that the Lord would be glorified by our lives, and so that we as a church would lift up the banner for Jesus Christ. So, all those who are hopeless and are lost or, or are walking the wrong path, that they would see that there is hope in the name of Jesus, that there is a life worth actually living in the name of Jesus. And that they can walk that path, and maybe it's fewer, and maybe it's not quite as popular. But they can walk it with us, the church, together for God's glory. And so, next week we're going to pick off uh, or pick back up in, in verse 20. And we're going to continue to look at uh, wisdom's plea, which is really the next the next um, path which is offered by the Father here. But I hope that we are all intentional to really pursue Christ and to pursue the will of our Father for our lives. That He is desperately pleading for us to not be ensnared by the devil. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its impact it it has on our lives and the impact that it can have on this church if we are faithful to spending time in it, to pursuing you and your righteousness. Father, we thank you for your insight that you have, that you're willing to share with us the commands and the laws of your word that we are able to truly gain a life that is worth living by committing ourselves to your son. And Father, I pray for anyone in here who is struggling through temptation, who is struggling through uh, the difficulty and, and the persuasiveness of the devil. Lord, I pray that you would free them tonight. Their hearts would not be bound with things of the world, that they would not be enticed, they would not be persuaded by the sin of the world. Father, I pray that you would help us tonight to not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but to be transformed by renewed minds. Because this is your will for our lives, that we would be holy. By doing this, I pray that you would be glorified and exalted and lifted up as you deserve because you are holy and you are worthy. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.